and welcome to the eighth episode of the United Bowhunters of Missouri podcast. This is Ethan Grother, and on the other end of the line tonight, we have the one and only Mr. Dan Novotny, uh, critter killing extraordinaire. So uh, we're just going to get some stories from Dan. How are you, Dan? I'm well. Good. How are you? I'm great. Yeah. I'm great. I'm hoping the uh, second time's the charm. We tried to record this podcast about an hour ago, and the Zoom fell out, so uh, we'll go from there, but Dan, you were telling us how you got started in uh, archery. Was was uh, you were born into it, weren't you? Well, just about. Um, born, raised on a farm, and when I was about five years old, my brother made a uh, crude hickory bow with a string of baling twine, and I started shooting that a little bit. And um, then I think when I was about seven, one of my uncles gave me one of those little uh, fiberglass bows. And pretty much I never looked back from there. Um, when I was 14, my mom bought me for Christmas a Shakespeare Nikita recurve, my first real bow. And um, uh, it was it was a very nice bow. I used yep. it for everything. Uh, you know, I I was uh, I did a lot of hunting summer times, um, killing squirrels, hunting groundhogs. Um, now, when I was even a teenager, around here there weren't many deer. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was big news if you even found a deer trap. <laughs> and I don't know, I don't know how old I was when I actually saw a deer on our property. But um, so the deer hunting got started kind of late. I guess uh, I was hunting. I had a friend whose uh, uncle or someone had a farm not real far, about 15 miles away that had some deer and I would hunt there a bit, but um, never had any luck. So I hunted various places, uh, you know, growing up and as a young adult. Um, and it was quite a while before I found good deer hunting, you know, so yeah. it was uh, quite the learning journey. You learn a lot when you're unsuccessful. Yeah, you do. Yeah, sure so. Well, do you remember what yeah. that first deer was? My first deer was a button buck. Awesome. Yeah. Um, you know, growing up, I, I had that Shakespeare bow for a while. And then I, uh, as I got out of high school, I bought a couple of Red Wing Slimline Pros, which are very pretty bows, very nice bows that I still have. Yep. And one of my use for bow fishing now. Um, and then as a young guy, about 20, I kind of got caught up into the compound thing. Uh-huh. You know, peer pressure when you're a young guy. <laughs> so, I, so I actually sold, uh, I had a compound for about three years. Uh, PSE citation. Um. And me and a buddy decided we were going to go back to the longbow. So I bought a Howard Hill longbow in 1980 and sold my compound. 
and I've been shooting the longbow ever since. Really? Yeah. Started, started with a Howard Hill. Yep. Was that quite a bit different to shoot compared to your old uh, Shakespeare? Um, not really. Okay. A little bit different. A little bit different in the handle, but I gravitated to it very easily. You know, longbow is a little bit different, but uh, the differences didn't bother me. I, and you know, I found over the years I'm a longbow guy. I like the, mm-hmm. I like the lightness, the simplicity, the beauty of it. You know, I just like longbows. Yep. Yeah. It's interesting. I know uh, a lot of guys uh, seem they, they seem to act like a longbow is a huge difference. And I'm, I'm kind of, I just kind of enjoy both. And, but I know for some people that, especially doing something like a Howard Hill style they act like it's a really big deal, but, uh, that's pretty cool that you just took to it naturally. So, yeah. Yeah. It wasn't a big deal. I mean, guys make a lot of it nowadays, but it's not, um, you know, the straight bow with the straight handle. Uh, if you're used to a recurve or compound with the high, high risk grip and the, the contoured handle, it can be different. Um, and some guys notice hand shock, but I always kind of shot heavier arrows and never really noticed it, you know, much. So um, now, you know, but uh, I've graduated kind to kind of over the last number of years to a um, the uh, what do you call them? The um, reflex defects, you know, longbows that aren't yep. the straight straight Howard Hill style, but still still pretty close, you know, so. Yeah, I think you're shooting a uh, uh, Wild Horse Creek right now, aren't you? Yes, I, I've uh, got two of the Wild Horse Creek Destiny longbows. Yeah. Uh, and I absolutely love them. Some of the best bows I've had. So they, they seem to just fit me. And again, Mike's a great guy to work with. And when he made these bows for me he made the handle grip to my specifications very nice i I sent him pictures measurements um circumference measurements everything uh of my favorite grip on another bow and he nailed it so Mm. yeah i remember the first uh i got you know, it was winter time, fall time when I got the first Destiny from him. And the first three arrows out of it in my basement in a target were dead center, right on. I couldn't ask for anything more. Oh, man. Yeah. That's it. You did, you, uh, you and that bow, you knew you were going to make meat together, didn't you? Oh, yeah. You bet. You bet. Well, yeah. uh, I don't want to rabbit trail. Uh, uh, I've got some other questions for you, but I was just thinking you were talking about heavy arrows and that's been the theme with everyone that we talked to uh, from the UBM, but uh, you're known for your wooden arrows. Uh, they always go for a pretty good price at the auctions every year at the UBM festival. And, and I was just curious, have you been making those arrows uh, since you were a teenager or is that something you got into later in life or um, is that just something you really enjoy? Yes, it is something I, I very much enjoy. Um, I enjoy the whole process of it. Um, and unlike some guys who seem to be in a hurry to get a set of arrows they're you know, they're, 
make it up a set of carbons or something and oh i gotta have i want them done i want to flush these arrows in 10 minutes well i enjoy the whole process of making these arrows and it is time consuming with wood arrows to do it correctly um but i've i can't really say how long i've been making them i mean i made i shot wooden arrows when I first started shooting the longbow, I, I was shooting aluminum arrows. Uh-huh. Um, didn't have woods then because I was trying to uh, make sure that I was learning how to shoot the bow. And then I didn't have, you know, bad arrows to mess with it, to mess with it. And then um, somewhere along the line, a few years later, you know, or not, not real long, but... Uh, I started making up woods and I can't really remember when, but, you know, and I have switched back and forth, you know, 25 years ago, I switched back and forth between aluminum and wood. Uh-huh. Uh, but pretty much for the last, for 20 years or better, I've been exclusively wood arrows and, you know, on and off before then, um, quite a bit. So, um, I would break the aluminums out just to make sure some shooting problem wasn't the arrow and it was me, which is generally true. <laughs> I think that's true of all of us. Yeah. 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 I've, uh, um, I've never owned a carbon arrow. Oh, really? Yeah. Man, making me feel, feel like <laughs> I'm not, not a man now. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I played with them. I'm guilty of being that guy. Uh, of, I've done a quick stain and a dip cap job and, and I, I want to make some pretty wooden arrows at some point. Um, but what, what are your favorite woods? Are they the Douglas fir like everyone's using now or cedar or, uh, you know, ash or anything like that? Well, I've used, I've used Douglas fir. I've used Port Orford cedar and I've used ash. Um, I tried some ash quite a number of years ago that I uh, got from a guy at a shoot, made them up, and they were phenomenal arrows. They mm. were heavy. For, they were good heavy arrows, which worked with the weight I was shooting at the time. They were they flew beautifully, um, stayed straight. Um, after I went through most of that dozen. I bought, I ordered some more and bought, got, got another couple dozen shafts and they were the worst arrows I ever had. Oh, really? That the next set, they were just, they were, they'd fly inconsistent. They wouldn't stay straight. Uh, so they, they were just not good arrows. Um, and when I was growing up and making arrows, you know, cedar was the, the accepted shaft for arrows yes. the this sherwood didn't come along uh until uh, you know i don't know last how many years and the sherwoods are great shafts they're great shafts and i've got uh a number of them here um but mostly i use cedar uh, it's easy to work with it works out in the in the weights i want now i don't find it it's not as fragile as the uh as a lot of people make out to be. Um, so I can do either one, you know, uh, but mostly I have cedar 
And especially since I have about 40 or 50 dozen shafts here at home, uh, I usually don't get into making, you know, buying more to, to make arrows up. So. Very cool. Yeah. Sorry, Dan, I just had to move. Uh, there was rain on my tin roof in the front of the shop, and I was afraid it was going to interfere with our conversation. Okay. So. No, no, no uh, problem. problem. Yeah, but so 40 or 50 dozen, that's all you have, huh? Yeah, that's all I have on hand, you know. So. <laughs> wow. I figured that's... that enough to last for a while. I would say so, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I usually ask everyone kind of like when you think of a hunt that just – uh, every time a hunt that you can easily relive every time you start thinking about your hunting memories, I want to hear that story, but I also kind of want to hear what happened on this recent trip. Um, so maybe we'll start with that. Uh, am I correct? Are you the only one that ended up getting a javelina or, um, uh, no, there's, um, this is the trip I've gone on. This is the second time I've been down with the group and there's, you know, it's eight or nine. Uh, mostly UBM guys, a couple guys aren't, but it's a, it's a group. The, the guy that, um, is in charge of the trip, um, you is a UBM member. He, uh -huh. lives in, he lives in New Mexico. Now he used to live in Missouri for quite a number of years where he worked here, but he's originally from out there somewhere and he's cousins with the ranch owner. Um, and then some, friends of his that he worked with go on the trip and then there's you know a few other ubm guys that go on the trip so it's a small group um and we kind of look forward to seeing each other yeah that one time here you know so yeah i got yeah. to go one year yeah. and, and one of these days i want to go back but yeah um so uh there was a young man there this year who was new to the hunt he's the son of a one of the other guys uh, -huh. uh and he he actually got two javelina the first day really he, yeah he was just ha one in the morning one in the afternoon and you know being a new guy we had to razz him a bit and he was yeah. he's shooting a compound but he's still a real good kid you know so yeah yep. and if, other than that i was the only one to take one the hunting was pretty hard this year it was physically hard um the javelina okay. were the javelina were spread out um, quite a bit in small groups. Okay. We, were seeing, we were seeing two, three, four, five at a time instead of the last time I was down, we were chasing a band of 15 or 20. You know, oh, so okay. it was, and the conditions, um, rain conditions had changed it. Um, two years ago when we were down, they had had four inches of rain in a year on the ranch. Yeah. Uh, this past year they had 14. Oh, which wow. Is, which is a good year for them. Uh, there was grass growing in a lot of areas that we didn't see before. Uh, the cactus and vegetation was doing well. The prickly pear were fat and delicious for the, for the heavies. You know, and uh, but they were scattered out and up on the hills instead of down in the bottoms. Oh, really? And so, so you really had to, you really had to hike and search for them. Okay. You know, we were finding them. 
I think there was only one group that we saw that was seen down in the bottoms, you know, and uh, um, I think there was there was a couple other shots taken, but no other heavies were were taken other than you know that guy and mine. Okay. You know, so it was it was it was tough hunting, and the terrain down there is brutal, shall we say? Yes, it is. It's uh, nothing but rocks and cactus. You know, everything has thorns and stickers on it, and you're constantly yeah. walking on, on small and big rocks up on the hills, and the hills are steep. Uh, so you really have to um, you have to spend all your time watching where your feet are going instead of being able to look out in front of you like you would normally if you're still hunting. Yeah. So yeah, I remember. Yeah. Uh, when I got invited to go out there, I, uh, I pictured senderos and, and, uh, clear cuts and all this stuff. And, and, uh, once we got up to this mountain range, I thought, Oh, okay. And, uh, that was exciting. But the year I went, me and uh, Bo Johnston, we were thinking like mountain hunting and we went straight up that, that, that peak that's next to camp. And, uh, and then we hunted on, on up high as far as we could the first year. But uh, everybody was finding them down below, so we were hunting opposite of the way you're supposed to. And so it's kind yeah. of interesting to hear now that they were actually up high this go-around. Were, were, uh, were you on Joe's ranch? Yeah, I was on that ranch, yep. There. Okay, we were, we're, on, we're on a different ranch now. Well, I don't. it wouldn't be Joe's. It would be David Miller's uh, cousin. Okay, all right. So yeah, it's yeah. Up, you, were up, you were up at the fort? Yep, there at the fort, yep. Okay. Yeah, the fort is some cool, unique history, isn't it? Oh, it's it's incredible. And it, it's almost eerie to think about, like, uh, I snore really bad, so I stayed in that little house right next to where everyone usually bunks. And, okay. Uh, and uh, it was just interesting to think about the history, how long this structure has been here, who lived here. Um, you know, just think about in the courtyard there, in the, yeah. the middle between all the buildings, just imagining that people were alive and doing things there you know yeah close to 100 years ago yeah yeah and two years ago we were down there and we took a picture of the group out in that courtyard where you're talking uh-huh this year we couldn't even get out there because it was grown up so bad really because the yeah. rain yeah yeah it was amazing the difference yeah that's yeah. well well uh tell me about this javelina how'd you get him well, um, um, they were actually the first ones I'd seen all week. Now I had heard, I had heard javelinas several times, um, four or five times actually on different days. You know, when when a couple of them are squabbling with each other, you know, rah, 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 rah. you know, I'd yeah. heard that for times. So. Um, this was kind of down south in an area that we hunt. Mike and I had hunted quite a bit. Um, and then I took a day off to hunt another spot. And another guy was down there. And he saw Havelina up on the hillside. But they were kind of far away to go after. Yeah. Before, you know. So we went down there the next day. And I thought, well, if they hadn't been boogered by him, hadn't spotted him or anything and chased them, they might still be in that area. And so I, 
I headed across the side of the hill, um, headed toward this uh, ravine that's got a lot of heavy sign in it from past times I've looked at it. And so I'm, I'm easing across there and I'm kind of getting to the edge of that ravine where I can look down and it's real steep going down in there 10 yards or so. And just as I get there, I hear a couple of heavies squabbling, fighting way up on top of the hill above me. Mm. So, and it's, you know, I got plenty of time in the morning. So I start heading up there. Now, again, you're not going any place in a hurry, uh, going up the steep hill. So I'm headed up that hill, um, working my way up as best I can. And all of a sudden I kind of look up, I'm looking up in front of me and through the grass, I see something run through the grass and go underneath this big green bush. Uh, and my first, my first impression was that looks like a groundhog. Uh -huh. It was about, it looked about the size and it's the shape of a groundhog back home. And then, then instantly I realized, well, that's a young one. Yeah. You know, but grass was big enough that all I saw was a couple inches of the back. Uh, so then I look over and um, here's two more coming over and then another one up higher, two more big ones come over and go in the bush. And the next thing I know, I mean, they realized I was there and one of them comes out of the bush on the bottom side and he's, he's uh, quartering toward me and hair all bristled up on the back and he's looking oh, at me. And I'm thinking, okay. Um, so I draw back and I shoot him. And it's it's a long shot. Um, six yards or so. <laughs> wow. Quartering uh, toward me. And so he, uh, he um, runs in the bush. And there's there's all this rack. Another one runs out the other side looking at me with hair all bristled up. And he runs in the bush and, and the bush is probably 10 foot long. Um, but they get in there and I hear all this rattling. It sounds like my arrows clanging around. And next thing it's silence. Mm. So I'm looking there. So I, I ease on up there and get to the other side of the bush. And I look down and he's laying there stone cold dead. Mm. right there in that bush um so um it was a sharp non-existent blood trail <laughs> that's yeah. what i like yeah. yeah yeah especially for those uh mm -hmm. it's better than chasing them up into caves like bo and i did yeah so. yeah so, um the arrow went in quarter and went in through his shoulder blade and we did an autopsy when I skinned him and went in through his shoulder blade, punched a hole through it and went in and cut that artery hmm. um, underneath the underneath the backbone. So he died quick. Good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Did, did you uh, hunt, hunt any more from there or did you just call it good? Well, um, actually... Uh, sometimes I don't like to admit to this stuff, but while I'm, <laughs> messing, 
well, while I'm messing around there, another one comes out and he's growling at me and staring at me. So I shoot him. Mm. And as soon as I shoot him, the arrow, it's like, it's like I shoot him and the arrow bounces back. Mm. But it's an, it's one of them deals where you shoot, I shoot him and it's, and as soon as he moves, the wood arrow breaks and bounces off. So, uh. you know, so he runs up the hill and I'm, I start to follow and there's, like I said, there's, I think there's two more up there with him. Um, the young one, another one. So I'm following it up the hill and the blood trail is hard to find. And I did find some spots of blood. I I keep going up the hill. And at one point I realized that, hell, you're close enough now. You can just look over the top and see if you can hear where you heard them fighting earlier. So I do. I, I, I was just looking for a heavy, you know, because I couldn't follow the trail disappeared. Yeah, uh, at grass and rocks, and if you've hunted heavy, you know how hard they are to trail. So I do that. I mess around. I start. I start going back down to find my heavy. I get partway down the hill. I go to the bush. My heavy should be lying in. I get around the end of it. There's blood and no heavy. What? And that's what I said. What is going on here? I'm looking around. I'm going, this can't be. So I'm messing around there. I, I follow. I find blood and I follow it about 10 yards. Just a little smear on the grass here and there. I follow it about 10 yards and it just disappears. Then, way down in the ravine below me, I'm hearing a couple of heavy down there. Go, so I'm thinking, what the hell? Is he down there? Is he wounded? What's going on? Yeah. So I, I keep going down the hill a little bit further. I go around a bush. And here's that broken arrow that I shot the second one with. Okay. I'm thinking, wait a minute. I turn around and I go back five yards to the bush. I just walked by, go around the other side of it. And there's my dead heavy. Oh yeah. <laughs> so the blood I found up there behind this other bush was from the second one, which that trail petered out. And when I shot him, I, as soon as I shot when the arrow hit, I instantly knew I hit low. Yeah. And I could tell, and javelina are notoriously hard to trail. They've got a very small kill zone. Yeah. And uh, so I, I know I wounded him, but I, I'm sure I didn't kill him. Yeah. So, yeah, I would believe it. Yeah. Um, so did you decide, are you going to do anything with this javelina? Are you going to have it mounted or? Uh... No, I, I, I've got one. I've got one of my first ones that, uh, Brian mounted for me years ago is one of the half body ones uh -huh. on a on a pedestal with cactus and brush and whatever. That's a nice mount I had years ago. So uh, basically, I skinned him out, boned out all the meat. I'm gonna try and make up some breakfast sausage, and I'll take the skull and boil it out 
and yep. uh, just my desk with the other five or six I've got here. <laughs> so, oh, awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yep. Do you like, uh, have you made breakfast sausage out of them or? No, I've never done it before. That's my, my plan this year. I'm going to mix some pork with it and some seasoning and see what I can do with it. Yeah. I, I didn't think it tasted too bad, but I'll tell you, uh, if you went by smell, nobody would want to eat those things. But, uh... <laughs> yeah. They uh, they do have a smell sometimes. Of course, the meat, if you take care of them without getting into that gland, you're okay. You yeah. know, but uh, yeah. So the yeah. meat didn't smell bad on this one. So yeah, that was good. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, mm -hmm. uh, I'll tell you what, uh, I'll, I'll give you a choice. Uh, why don't you tell us a story of one of your, what's your most epic hunt, you think, for you that takes you back to that? Um, well, it's funny. We were talking about that while we were down there in camp. And okay. I got a couple, but I, get, I would, you know, I've got the mountain lion hunt and the caribou hunt. Okay, yeah. And the caribou hunt is probably... They, they're my top, and the caribou hunt was one I would have loved to repeat, although I'd like to repeat most of them. Yeah. Caribou hunt was an awesome hunt back back then for me, you know. Um, in 2006, a bunch, nine of us went up with Tudelik Outfitters uh -huh. uh, and, and hunted caribou. Um, camp was on an island in the middle of a place called Lac Minto, big lake up there. Um, and um, a thir nine of us killed thirteen caribou. Really? Um, yeah. So it was. We were allowed two. I did get two. Uh, fortunately for me, I got the biggest one of the group. Uh, which uh, scored 20, 27 or 28 points over Pope and Young minimum. Awesome. Uh, big, big double shovel rack and everything. Just a beautiful bull. Um, so uh, it was, it was one of my most awesome hunts, you know, so it was, it was a great time. Yeah. Uh, do you remember what bow and arrow combo you used on that? And, um, well, that was actually with some of my ash arrows. Okay. Um, I was shooting, uh, a JD Berry, uh, longbow at the time. So. Yeah. Which has since outgrown me. Uh, I've moved down in weight quite a bit from those years, you know, but it was, a, and, uh, I killed two, I killed both caribou the same day. Really? Yeah, the the third day of the hunt. Well, the first day, me and a buddy stayed on the island and hunted, and we had some action, but it was a little bit slow. The second day, the camp manager took four of us way south. I, of course, I'm not sure which direction is which up there, but I'm sure it's south, down there quite a ways in a boat ride, and. Uh, we got off the hunt for the day and, and my buddy killed the first caribou of the group that day. Really? And so, uh, made a, made a great shot on it. Uh, a friend that I had 
converted to a longbow for for that trip, you know. So made oh, it. Wow. He was shooting arrows that I had made. Um, and so we uh, we all put it in our packs and packed caribou out that afternoon. The whole thing at once. Um, the next day, we got up, looked looked behind camp up on the big ridge back there, and there was just there was a line of caribou going across that ridge top as far as you could see, both directions. Mm. So we got ready, and uh, four of us went across the lake that direction. Um, and as soon as we got out of the boat, we didn't go 50 yards, and we're seeing caribou everywhere. Um, mm. So two of the guys went to the right. We went left. We didn't go far. We are on a little knoll, and we could look look down and the island that camp was on there's another island next to it separated by you know 40 or 50 yards of water yeah and over the top of that second island over the hill comes a line of caribou come down come down to the lake and as far as we could see across the lake they were coming at us swimming across there just a continuous line really so yeah we took off and hustled in that direction uh, and, uh, got, got down to quite a ways and got set up and here they came, uh, a lot, a lot of cows and calves and young bulls. And they were just, they were just coming by just like nonstop. I've never seen so many animals before. Mm. And, and then toward the end of that parade, I got a shot at a, at a bull average bull and uh shot him uh he ran a little bit staggered sideways and died in a little pond oh so he's floating out there and we had to we had to go out and get him and drag him to shore and uh to to dress him and everything yeah so uh we dressed him uh carried a, a load back on our packs back over to where the boat was and then headed back up into the hills and it was it started the wind started picking up so we got you know eh, 30 mile an hour winds most of the afternoon and uh we we went up on top of the ridge and then we were going down the far end where it was up on top where you where we saw all the caribou that morning yeah. and we down the long West end of it and, um, had a couple of cows coming up toward us. So we ducked behind the rock. Uh, and I guess they don't know what people are because they walked by within feet of us. Wow. Directly in the wind of us and didn't, didn't even pay any attention. Really? Uh, was one of the points where my buddy's kneeling by a rock and he has to pull his bow back some so the cow caribou didn't step on it wow yeah they were close so they we didn't want to spook them because we didn't know what happened you know well they went on and we kept going down and we get down across this ravine and go out in this field by this giant boulder um and we look down in the corner and we see a big group of bulls come out down there. 
So we got set up and they came by us, but they're out there a little bit too far. You know, it's like 35 yards Yeah, with, with a 30 mile an hour crosswind and it wasn't a shot I was willing to take. So they go on by and we knew where they were going to end up. So I told John, I said, I'm going to see if I can get up there. I took off running up this ravine and everybody says you can't beat the caribou and they're right, except they stopped to feed. Mm. So I get up there and I get in position in front of them. Now, when I came out of the brush there, I'm, I'm climbing up on a couple of giant boulders, you know, the size of a pickup truck. Um, and one was about four foot high and the other was higher. So I'm on the one leaning up against the other one. And, and it was tall enough that the only thing up was my head was showing above it. Yeah. I've got some young bulls and cows looking at me, but not paying attention. And here comes this group of these seven bulls. They're over there feeding and they slowly come by. And um, a really nice one got by, but he was on the other side and he was out there too far. And they came by and I thought, I want that last one. And he came by and uh, I shot him, mm. uh, which I, I he, he, he was standing still and I aimed, I aimed off of where I wanted to hit just a little bit to take care of the wind. And I shot and it was a perfect shot. It went right where I wanted, except that in the meantime, he started to take a step. Ah, I got you. So the arrow hit right where it was supposed to, but he had moved slightly and I hit him a little bit back. And when I did, he ran up on the hill and disappeared from sight. So I followed him up there and I didn't go real far, you know, 75 yards or so in between the rocks. And I saw him laying down and he was laying down facing me and he had three cows that were up there feeding. Uh, so I'm sneaking down there and Fortunately, the cows decided to leave because I was afraid they would spook him. Yeah. Hey, uh, when they... hey. So, um, I was um, looking at uh, wounded caribou. Uh-huh. Um, the cows moved off, and as they did, he got up, walked about 15 yards and bedded down quartering away from me looking the opposite way mm. scenario I stalk I, I stalk up behind him and I got to about 11 yards and he stood up perfect angle and I shot him quartering away going up he spun around in a circle and just collapsed right there. Mm. So that was, um, that was, that was pretty awesome. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, and then, uh, my buddy John finds me up there and I'm 
dressing, uh, you know, I'm quartering on the caribou and stuff. He sees some caribou down there. He goes down after them, comes back without hardly any arrows left. Never, he didn't hit any. <laughs> Got some shots. So um, then um, <laughs> we loaded up packs and took them down. Now, we had gone up far enough. It's close to a mile down to where we had to get to the lake for the boat to come down and see us. So we go down there and um, in the process going down to where the boat would be, we had to cross three boulder fields of walking from one rock to another um, really? to get with a full pack on your back. Then John stays there with hit with the, some of the meat and that to wave the boat in. I have to go back up and get another load, which I do. And when I'm coming down this time, it's dark, almost dark, and I'm navigating the boulder fields with a light. Then I get down there with that load, and I got to go another half a mile back up over to the right to pick up the last load of the first caribou I met I shot that morning. Oh, man. So, needless to say, when we got back to camp, I was slightly tuckered out. Oh, yeah, I would say so. Made it safe, and uh, and uh, like I said, we had a we had an awesome trip. A lot of you know, a bunch of good guys and uh, fun hunt. I would have loved to repeat that, but sadly, that hunt is no more. So, yep, yep, that's on my list for one day, but right now you can't do it. So. Yeah, I mean, that was the Quebec Labrador one. Now, you can still hunt them in Alaska and maybe Manitoba and some things, but it's a lot, a lot more expensive now and harder to do. So, yeah, for sure. Well, uh, I'll t well, let me ask you, did you uh, did you end up eating some uh, caribou backstraps that night when you got back or? Um, truthfully, I don't remember what we ate that night. Okay. Um, I was so tired that we ate something and I laid down and I passed out. <laughs> yeah, I could imagine. Yeah. Did have some good eating there. Uh, the first night, I said, when me and John Hunter just on the island, I walked back to the cabin in the afternoon, got my fishing pole, and uh, and we had fresh lake trout for dinner that night. Mm. Yeah, that was good. That was some good eating. So. That's I bet so. Well, I'll tell you what, Dan, why don't you tell me about this mountain lion, too? That's something I'm, that's high on my list myself, and I love to hear the stories. Yeah, that all, I mean, it's something I had thought about, but when uh, Fred Eichler was our guest speaker out there in 2005, I guess it was, four, 2000, I think it was 2004. Okay. So. What I, I I'd have to look at pictures. Either four or five. Anyway, Fred Eichler was our guest speaker out there, and it's something I had thought about. But then all of a sudden I thought, hell, I can do this, and if I'm going to do this, I need to do it before I get a lot older. Um, so I booked the lion hunt with Fred at the festival. Um. So, and lion hunting is kind of contingent on tracking snow and things like that. So, um, I had my truck ready to go. I had my clothes packed. Um, 
And one day, uh, not long before Thanksgiving, a few days before Thanksgiving, I think the Saturday before, I get a call and Fred's wife, Michelle, says, can you be here in the morning? I said, yes. Um, so the funny thing is, my wife's whole family was at our house that afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, I'm gone. Bye, everybody. <laughs> and uh, I hopped in the truck, drove all night to get out there. And um, um, we, uh, we started looking the next day and checking sign and stuff and then the following day we got up very early and got out and we're checking trails riding around checking trails and everything and um didn't find any good tracks that day the uh the next day we found some tracks well and and uh so the way they do some of this on these ranches is we would ride four wheelers. I would actually ride on the back of his four wheel and we'd ride, you know, um, 10, 15 miles back on this ranch up on the mountain and drive through, drive the trails looking for tracks crossing it. Uh, and so we did find a track that day, which then we had to go back to the truck, get the dogs, go back up and we turned the dogs loose on the track and we trailed the cat halfway around the mountain um the sun was out and it was starting to warm up so they got around to a point where the uh, snow was melting and the dogs kept losing the track mm. um, at which point we're i don't know how far from the four-wheeler so the guide says, well, there's a road down below us. And he said, I know where that comes out on the road. So I can go, we can walk that out and get to the road. And I'll walk up and get the truck and stuff. So we start out that road and that was a trek. Mm -hmm. um, we walked for, I think, about three hours on a dirt road that was thawing out in black sticky mud. Mm. Um, I don't think I've, I don't know if I've ever been that tired when we got, got finally got to the road. It took us hours and we were just beat. Um, but we made it. Um, so then uh, conditions were warming up too much. So I came home um, and then um, in the middle of January, Fred calls me up and says, uh, can you, I think it was a Wednesday. He said, can you be here Friday? I said, yes. Um, cause it was snowing good and he anticipated some good hunting after that. Yeah. So once again, I headed, headed out and got out there Friday. Um, and so Fred and I went out the next couple mornings. We checking trails and stuff, but never found anything worth pursuing. Uh, and then 
then I was reunited with the guy that I had before Cam. He was a real nice young guy. Mm-hmm. And we, we hunted different areas. And, uh, about the fourth day we're up and there was a second guy now who was, who didn't have anything else to do. So he was out with us. So we cut some tracks and we turned the dogs loose on them. And we went, uh, a mile or so following them and they figured out that hey the dogs are running it the wrong way so they said well we got to run these dogs down and get them back he says can you find it get back i said yeah oh yeah i just followed i went back up to where the four-wheeler was at and waited on them while checking tracks and i found where the cats had crossed there was two of them crossed below us so we they brought the dogs back we got on that trail and ran back along the mountain for a a mile or so and uh ended up losing that track where they hit a sunny hillside Mm. then um the next morning we went out um on a different section of that mountain and we climbed up um finding sign, following tracks. Uh, and we climbed up into this one area that hunter's instinct tells you this is the place to be. Oh yeah. There was, there were deer, um, cat, bobcat, and you, you knew there would be probably bear, but elk tracks, there was a, it, it ran up and there was this, super little bench and this little water hole. I mean, it was just the most gorgeous spot. Um, I'll still remember that spot always. It's like if I was hunt, if I could hunt that area, that is exactly where I would go immediately and you yeah. would see game. So anyway, um, uh, the next day, the next day, which was actually seventh day of hunting, counting the set first and second trips, we were back and went back to another spot where Fred and I had been at the beginning of the week, and we went back in there uh, not terribly far, and we cut a track going across the road, and so we turned the dogs loose on that, and we head uphill, naturally. There's nothing but uphill or downhill, and we're always going uphill out there. We go up a ridge, cross over it, go down and go up another ridge and I'd, I'd get to the top of the ridge and I'd turn around and look back and you could always see over the top of the one we had just left. Oh, so yeah. After, after about four of those ridges, um, we cross, we're down, down, we come down one and there's a, there's an old fire road there and we're going up this steep ridge and it's one that you got to grab the brush to pull yourself up. And I'm going around rocks sticking out you know, the size of a car. Um, and we get to the top. Uh, there was bare spots intermittent there. And so we get up there and we're going along. And um, my guide says, well, you wait here by this, on this road. And he has to go circle around to find the tracks again because we had lost them. 
So he goes around and comes back and says, yeah, they're, oh, they went this way. So we get up there and we're going around and we go around the mountain quite a ways. And all of a sudden we could hear the dogs. We could hear the dogs down below us, way down below us. So we go, we take off down there and we get down and we're getting close and we come around a, a couple of trees right there where you could see the dog. And I look up and as soon as we cleared those trees, there was a lion up in a tree. And as soon as it saw us, it bailed. Oh man. Jumped and ran. <laughs> and, and this is five hours into the hunt that day. So I'm mm. pretty tuckered. And I'm going, I would imagine. So we take off and we go side hill around, around the valley and we um, we didn't have to go real far, you know, a few hundred yards, and the cat treed again. Okay. And uh, I got in there, and he he tied the dogs up, and, and um, I shot him. He didn't fall out. I shot him again. He fell out and rolled down the hill. And uh, so uh, he was still alive when I went down there leaning up against a tree and um, I'll never forget the look in his eyes when he stared at me at mm. you know six or seven yards because he was motionless and and wasn't going anywhere but uh, it's just like mm -hmm. and then he was and then he was dead so um, you know that was that was exciting and then we uh, took pictures and uh, skinned him, boned the meat out and everything, and packed up, headed back up over the mountain, down to the fire road we found, walked for two hours down the fire road to get to another trail, or a four-wheeler trail, mm. at which point uh, my guide we had to wait there a while and he was finally able to reach because we were miles away from our four-wheeler yeah uh, and it, he finally reached the other guy jake um who got to us about a half hour after you know uh, we got there and uh so that was quite the experience then because we put uh all of our packs, my bow, three guys, you know, a dead cat, and three lion dogs on one four-wheeler. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so it was quite the adventure there. So we, and it was, uh, it was a good half-hour drive yeah. to get back where our first four-wheeler was. Mm. So it was very very long walk i don't know how far we covered that day but it was a few miles you know and so um so i got my cat you know and it was uh like i said it was a it was something i did you know i had my birthday out there i turned 49 years old out there while i was there and i was glad i didn't wait any longer because mm. you know trailing dogs and um and a 20 something year old native Colorado and up those hills was <laughs> something I didn't want to do later in life. But it was 
it was awesome. You know, the, just the memories that are associated with it, you know, like that and the caribou hunter, just something I'll always have. Yeah. Well, those, those are awesome stories. Uh, did you, uh, what'd you end up doing with the cat? Did you get him tanned or mount him or? I have a full body mount at my awesome. house. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Very cool. Very cool. Did you, uh, I, I asked you this about the caribou too, but did you, uh, try the mountain lion meat? Oh yeah. Yeah. I brought all the meat back home and <clears throat> a couple months later I had a cookout for a bunch of guys, UBM members and hunting friends and their wives. We had a cookout here and we devoured it. Really? Every, everybody loved it. We roast, we grilled some of it, you know, and stuff. And, my one buddy says it's it's a white meat yep. like pork and he said this is better than the best pork roast i've ever had wow it's 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 really really good eating and the, i remember the women picking up the last last little scraps of it and there was nothing went to waste well, i I'd, I'd like to have another one just for the meat yeah i've heard that and that's uh that's on my that's on my short list of things to do, uh, yeah. for sure. It's just exciting. So, yeah, do it when you can because you don't get any younger. Yep, yep. Uh, Brian Peterson, that uh, I think we mentioned earlier, um, he made a comment to me. We were at some UBM event, and he just said he's come to the conclusion that these hunts aren't going to get any cheaper. And, oh no, uh, they're not going to. And uh, you know, I mean, <clears throat> some of the things that we did back then, you know, I was twenty years ago almost and uh they're you know three four times the price now a lot some of them are yeah you know yeah so that's just inspiration for everyone get out there and do it when you can yeah, so. yeah. i paid twenty six hundred dollars for that caribou hunt really and in 2017 it was sixty five hundred dollars for one caribou yep yeah man yeah Man, I'm trying not to be jealous right now. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, wow. Anyway, well, Dan, I think we'll go ahead and wrap it up here. But okay, I just want to say thanks for uh, sharing your time with us and dealing with the technical hiccups. And um, we'll what we'll probably do is I'll probably do this again with you sometime. So be thinking of of uh, more stories. I'd like to hear. Uh, I'd like the podcast to record your story about that buck over your shoulder. Um, I know that story too, and that's a good one. So, uh, the buck over my shoulder. I think it's the one, the one over your shoulder right now. I think is the one you shot last year, right? Oh, big one. Yeah, my big buck. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we'll yeah. save that story. We'll we'll definitely come back and do this again. So I forget when you said buck over my shoulder. I'm thinking you were talking about how I shot him, but you can see him in my background. Yeah. <laughs> wait uh dan did you shoot a buck over your shoulder one time did you no no that's oh. what it used <laughs> <laughs> yeah awesome well uh, uh dan thank you so much oh uh, thanks for doing this ethan yeah you have a great night you too